Amen. Well, it's a privilege to be able to be here with you all and be able to preach a sermon. I'm thankful for the opportunity. And you're in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Go ahead, if you will, look down to verse number 27. Let's look at that one more time. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 27, where the Bible says, And answering he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And tonight, what the topic of my sermon that I want to preach about is how to love the Lord. And I want to look at this in the Bible. I want to see what the Bible says about a way that we can love the Lord. And I want to talk about the fruits of somebody who does love the Lord and what you can see in their life. And, you know, before I want to do that, I want to disprove a false doctrine that would say that you need to love the Lord like the Bible says to love the Lord in order to be saved. Now, don't get anything wrong there because there does need to be love in terms of salvation in terms of the fact that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But you see, God already loved us. He's already done the finished work and it's our belief on the finished work of Jesus Christ it doesn't have anything to do with any love or any works that we could return back to him. So go to the book of John in chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we're just going to kind of go verse by verse in this chapter for a little bit. Um, So if you're in the book of John, chapter 14, go ahead and look down to verse number 1. We'll start at the beginning and read on through. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am... There ye may be also, and go whither, and whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So that verse right there, and we're looking at it, we can see that salvation is just by belief, just from the very first verse. But verse number 6 reinforces it even better because it says the fact that Jesus is the only way to the Lord. I mean, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the single opportunity that we have on this earth to believe on Him and trust in His finished work in order to get to heaven. Now, we'll look at the next couple verses after that because when we start getting into these, this is where the repenting your sins Baptist might think that I'm in hot water. But let's just look at what the Bible says on them and what it says. So look at verse number 7. Just continue reading. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name that I will do, the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, back up to verse number 12, let's look at that one more time, where it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, 
the works shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, the best thing that I've realized since, you know, not really coming to terms on the repentance issue, because I always understood that it was just faith alone, but since really hearing a lot of preaching against it, is if you ever want to disprove one of these people that tell you that you need to turn from all of your sins, or that you need to repent of all your sins in order to be saved, is you just think logically about whatever they're saying. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is their favorite verse to use. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And I'll show you what I mean when I say that if you just want to think logically about anything that they're saying to you, it will just disprove it themselves. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, let's just really quick have some group participation. How many people in this room have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and are eternally secure? Just put up your hand. If you've believed on Christ and you're saved, amen. So, how many of you people now also have completely become new and you have no sin in your life whatsoever? Nobody. Now, what this verse right here would say, if it is true that you need to repent of your sins and you need to turn from all your sins, that verse right there, in the eyes of these repenting your sins as well, Old things pass away and all things become new. See, they try to teach this doctrine that the second you get saved, any bad desires that you had, you're not going to want to go to the bar and get drunk anymore. You're not going to want to hang out with the people you used to. You're going to want to change your life. You're going to get into a Bible-believing church and all this other stuff that they teach. Which, hey, amen if you do that after you get saved. I believe that's the Lord's desire for all of our lives. That has nothing to do with salvation, though. And the problem is, when you're saying 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is applying to salvation right this second, then you're saying that somebody, in order to truly be saved, has to turn from all of their sin and can never sin again. Now listen, the new man in me won't ever sin. He won't be infected by any of that. But the old man that I'm currently inhabiting right now, my body, this flesh is going to cause me to sin no matter what. And it might be things that we would consider minuscule things, but until the day I die... This physical body will never conquer sin, but my soul, but my spirit will eventually conquer sin because of the new man, because of the fact that I am saved, because I am eternally secure in Christ. My new man won't be infected. Now go back to the book of John chapter 14. You know, when we're thinking about the fact that we would say that we're not sinning anymore, you know, the book of Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, see, what this says right here in the book of John, chapter in the book of John, uh, chapter fourteen, down in verse twelve. Look at that verse one more time, and let's think about it logically. Where the Bible says, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father." Now, let me just ask you a question. Is there anybody in this room that thinks that they would eventually, because they're saved, have the ability to do a greater work than when Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple fish and some bread? No. Does anybody think that they're going to be able to die on a cross and raise again and save all the world? Nobody's ever going to be able to do works that are even close to being equatable with Christ. But see, this is what I'll say is that whenever we're disproving false doctrine, we're not disproving the Bible. We're not showing a contradiction in the Bible or where someone says that the Bible's wrong. 
See, what I believe this verse is talking about, and I could be wrong on this interpretation, but I believe that since when the Lord talks about us and it says that he forgets our sins, you know, the Bible says that God will separate our sins as far as the east is from the west, and he won't remember them anymore, all the bad things that we did. He just forgets about them. Now, the thing is, is that if you were to look at me and think and, and just look at my life and never see me sin once, and I was just to look perfect to you, I'd look like I was a pretty good guy, right? You know, if I never did anything, I never wronged anybody, I never told a lie, I never sinned at all. I would look like an incredible person. Well, in terms of the new man, in terms of when we actually get to heaven, that's how we appear. We appear without this old flesh that's on us, without this sin. We appear in the new man in heaven. So that's honestly what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is. And really the whole repentance of sin's heresy comes a lot from mixing up the new man and the old man. And thinking that the old man disappears on this earth the second you get saved. But in reality, the old man disappears the second that you die. Now, if you'll just continue on down in the chapter, you know, now that we've disproven that false doctrine, let's actually get into the meat of the sermon. And let's just go ahead and continue reading in the book of John in chapter 14, um, down in verse 15. We'll keep on going. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them... He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Now, the whole reason I wanted to spend time saying that you don't have to love the Lord in order to be saved is because, truthfully, not a lot of people really meet the standards in terms of the Bible, in terms of what the Bible says is necessary for somebody to love the Lord. The Bible says, according to it, right here in verse 24, it says, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. The Bible says that in order to show our love to the Lord, in order to show our appreciation to the Lord, we have to keep the commandments. Now, I don't believe it's possible to keep all the commandments, but I think that we can have a good heart by attempting our best to keep the commandments and attempting to see what the Bible says about certain commandments and doing our best basically to try to stay on top of those things. Now, tonight, I wanted to just kind of look at some three of just some basic things that I believe the Lord has said that we should be doing as Christians um, to just kind of better our walk with him and see what we can do to try to strive to having a better relationship with him at the end of the sermon. So, you know, the very first thing I wanted to do, if you will go to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the first thing that I wanted to talk about is the most important qualification is um, soul winning. You know, the, the number one commandment I believe that the Lord has given us to do 
is to go into all the world and preach the gospel in every creature. And just a couple of verses to back that up is uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Luke chapter 14, verse 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Now let's go and look at the book of Revelation in chapter 2, and let's just look at this church, starting in verse number 1. Under the church of Ephesus write, These these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars." And as born, and as patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, I believe that this passage, I believe that the first love, that the first works, I think the first love is lost souls. And I think the first work is actually going out and going soul winning. That's what I believe about this passage. There could be a different interpretation on that, um, depending on how you look at it or what you compare scriptures with. But I don't have all the time to really show that exactly. But I just believe that this is talking about soul winning. Now, what I'd like to say here is that, you know, number one, I think that a lot of people, when they instantly read this, especially just within people in our movement, is think like, oh, this is exactly what the old IFB is doing. You know, the old IFB, they completely left their first love. And, you know, I tend to agree with you for a little bit, but I have a different attitude, just like the Lord has here, about that in verse number 5, where it says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now listen, when I see a church that disagrees with us on end times, that disagrees with us on the Jews, and isn't soul winning, I don't wish damnation on that church or wish the church would fall apart. I wish that the church would repent and go soul winning. Listen, before anybody changes their mind on doctrine on the end times, I want them to get soul winning right first. Because in the meantime, while you're thinking about how the last three and a half years are going to go or you know any end times doctrine or anything about the Jews over in Israel, listen, before we get to that, let's make sure we're all soul winning first. Because I believe that soul winning, while it was one of the last things that the Lord said us when he gave the Great Commission, I think it's the number one important thing for a Christian to do once they have been saved. Listen, if you're saved, I think the second thing you do is get baptized instantly. And I think right after that, you go out soul winning as a silent partner. I think the number one thing that a Christian is responsible for is learning how to give the gospel to other people. I think that it is our responsibility as a Christian, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, to go out into the world and preach the gospel to other people. And I say that because the Bible says that only a saved individual has the opportunity to do that, has the ability to do that. You know, I can't look and think that a Catholic priest in a Catholic church is just going to happen to be reading the Bible and all of a sudden somebody in there is going to get saved by just thinking about hearing a Bible verse or something like that. It's actually somebody who is saved, who's got the Spirit of God dwelling within them, 
to go out and present the gospel to somebody else. Now, see, I believe this is so essential because I really believe that we need to, as Christians, in our walk with the Lord to try to improve our love for him is to go soul winning. I think if this is something that he took so much time into putting all over the New Testament, I mean, really, if you read the New Testament, you can see just about on every page, depending on how big your letters are, you can see almost on every page the fact that we need to go soul winning. The fact that it's an important thing to do. And see, I really believe that the Bible says, when if you love me, keep my commandments. I think the number one commandment, and I should have looked this statistic up, but I believe the number one commandment in the New Testament is soul winning. Now, I don't know anybody in this church. I don't know the statistics about like who's going or anything or what's going on there, but you know, it's a blessing to be able to have a church that has scheduled soul winning times. And especially in this church where we've got scheduled soul winning times, how much the more we should be going out and going soul winning and how important it is to reach this community of Rock Falls and Sterling and Dixon and all the other surrounding towns. I know that a lot of people, you know, that listen in or anything like that are from a bigger city and might think that, well, there's just not as many doors here. It's not as important for every single person to go out because, you know, there's only... I don't know what the numbers are. 25,000 people combined between Rock Falls and Sterling. So not everybody in the church needs to go out because the congregation here can take care of it. Listen, someday I'd like to start a church in a really big city. But if I knock every single door in the town, I'm just going to restart and do them all again. Or I'll go to the next town. So why would that be any different here in Rock Falls and Sterling? I mean, just knock all the doors over and over again until you have 25,000 people in your church building. You know? I mean, we should go out and preach the gospel over and over and over again to these people because the whole reason that this church was here in the first place is because I read something on the website that it said there wasn't an independent fundamental Baptist church within 45 minutes of here. So this is a place that needed the gospel, so why sit back and not preach the gospel? I mean, this is essential, and this is what we need to be doing as a church. Now, the second thing that I want to do is I want to talk about um, hating things that are against the Lord. I believe that we should take a stand strongly on things, not just that are for the Lord and not just appreciate things that are against the Lord, but when somebody really loves the Lord, they're also going to not be afraid to take a stand on the things that are strongly against him. Now look down to verse 6, because here's where you'll actually see some mercy given to the church of Ephesus, where it says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So what we see here right now is that he's rebuking them because they've left their first love. You know, they, they haven't really been soul winning as much. They don't love the lost souls as much as they did. They need to get back. They need to do those first works again so they can regain their first love. But hey, they have one bonus. They at least hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which the Lord Jesus Christ also hates. So they've got some bonus there. So if you will, go back to uh, the book of Psalms and chapter 139. Go to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. You know, when we want to think about things that we can do to please the Lord, we don't only want to look at just keeping his commandments of actions that we need to do physically as people, but also when we see something that's completely against the Lord, we need to call that out and say that that's against the Lord. We need to call something out when it's attacking the Bible. We need to stand for the King James Version of the Bible. Amen. We need to stand for the fact that we need 
you know, churches, we need men looking like men. We need women looking like women. We have to stand on these things that are attacking the Word of God, and we need to take a strong stand on them. So look down in Psalms 139, and verses, uh, we'll go to verse number 21. It says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, whenever a liberal Christian is having a conversation with me about how we need to be loving to everybody, this is one of my favorite places in the Bible to take them. Because here's the thing. If I have an enemy that's not the Lord's enemy, you know, if somebody hates me because I believe differently, just common example, I believe differently on end times than they do. So they hate me, they think I'm teaching false doctrine. That person, I don't know, that person is not the Lord's enemy. Just because they might think that I'm wrong. If that person is soul winning, if that person is doing something good for the Lord, they might disagree with me on doctrine, and they might hate me because of it. I don't believe that means that that person hates the Lord, though. You know, I don't believe that somebody who believes differently on end times is an enemy of the Lord. So I don't believe that we need to treat them like an enemy, like that some people might do, where they think that automatically, well, since I'm so righteous, since I'm so perfect on my Bible doctrine, anybody that hates me is an enemy of the Lord, so I can hate them. That's a completely false doctrine. You know, if somebody comes out and blasphemes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hate that person. Okay, But if somebody comes and says something mean to Austin Dennis, let him speak. I care about that person's salvation. I care that that person's saved. I don't want them to say anything against the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm not a special person that I just can't be spoken against. And you know, even pastors, I don't believe that you should ever speak against a saved pastor. But if somebody does, even then I don't believe that that means that they're an enemy of the Lord. Then some people might feel differently about that, that you should treat them at an even higher of respect. But if somebody disagrees with the pastor on an issue and would speak out against them, I don't even believe that that person is just an enemy of the Lord. I think if they're attacking God's people, they're attacking a church, that's a different thing, a railing accusation against a pastor. But if somebody says something about how they just don't like the way that a pastor does things, I don't believe that person is an enemy of the Lord. But that's all, not exactly what the point is here. But, you know, go to Proverbs chapter 6 now. Proverbs chapter 6, and let's look down to verse number 16 when we get there. Proverbs chapter 6, and verse number 16, where the Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, Feet that be swift with running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So let's read that one more time. These six things doth the Lord hate. Because we want to see what the Lord hates if we want to start hating the things that the Lord hates and start hating the things that are against the Lord. It says, Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. In heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, and be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, the last thing that I believe you should do 
is take a soft approach on hating things that are against the Lord. Because let me just give you an example. You know, my wife is going to be giving birth here in a few months to our first baby son. And we're really looking forward to that. We're thankful for that blessing. But see, say that I don't really care that much about what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 about homosexuals or about people that are given over to a reprobate mind. And I don't really want to hate those people, and I don't mind breaking fellowship with those people. I don't want to look back at the example given in Genesis chapter 19, or I don't want to look back at the example given in Judges chapter 19, what these people are capable of and what these people will do. I hate my son because I'm not protecting my son from those things. You see, it's inevitable to have hate somewhere in our lives. And if we're going to have something to hate, we should be on the Lord's side with what we're hating rather than the world's side. We can't support homosexuality or pedophilia and be on the Lord's side. We can't say that we love the Lord, yet have Satan fill our houses and fill our churches. It's just not going to happen. It's not compatible. It's not compatible to have an open sodomite family in a King James Bible-believing church. It just doesn't work. They're predators. They should be cast out. They shouldn't be anywhere close to children. And we need to take the duty, knowing what the Bible says, as independent fundamental Baptists, and just believe the Bible and cast these people out, and rather protect our own families. Now, what I want to talk about is just these specific things, though, that are listed. Number one, a proud look. We should hate a proud look. You know, especially, I think that I need to hate a proud look because someday I want to be a pastor and the last thing that I should be doing is be lifted up with pride and think that I'm something when the thing that I'm supposed to do as a pastor or somebody who just wants to preach sermons is lift up the Lord rather than myself. Because if I myself am lifted up, I'm going to fall. If I'm pushed up on some pedestal to where I'm constantly given a way to be able to fall, a way to stumble, I'm going to. Because if I myself am lifted up, then the gospel is to no effect. Jesus Christ needs to be the one that's exalted, not ourselves. And I think preachers fall into this a lot of times where they start to give themselves such a high standard and they, you know, they've got a certain amount of people that they have to preach to. They won't go to a small church or preach to them or they won't have anything to do with, you know, a smaller offering or they won't have anything to do. They've got a public look and they can't have their public look messed up, and they just get themselves into this thing where all of a sudden it becomes more about a person rather than Jesus Christ. And if your ministry ever gets to the point where you're more focused on yourself than you're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a problem. And you need to rethink what you're doing in terms of your ministry and who you're really pointing people to rather than yourself. Now, I also want to look at a lying tongue. I mean, how can you not hate a lying tongue? I mean, lies are one of the most frustrating things to deal with. When we think about people, and you know the truth. You know you know that you've never done anything wrong in a certain situation, and then all of a sudden somebody comes out and throws an accusation. Well, I know you did it. You know, I go to the store, and you say I go to McDonald's, and someone while I'm there, you know, they, they go back and they steal a burger. And then I'm standing in line, and I'm just there, but I didn't steal the burger, but all of a sudden one of the store managers accuses me of stealing the burger. Well, I didn't steal that. But it's really frustrating because once an accusation's made, it's always there. 
You know, especially with the Internet today, just think about it. If someone comes out and makes an accusation against you, it never goes away. No matter what. That's just the way that the Internet works. Because we've got constant people who are just... It seems like there are literally people who just sit on Facebook and are just scrolling for the refresh button. And they're waking, waiting for somebody to make a stupid mistake, waiting for somebody to post something on Facebook that they didn't really mean, they said it in the heat of the anger, and they just, bam, got the screenshot. And it doesn't matter if that person deletes the comment. It doesn't matter if that person deletes the post. It's on there forever. And they don't let you think about it. I mean, they will never let you forget about it. Somebody comes out and does something, you know, that we might disagree with. Well, then all of a sudden all these other things start coming out. Well, yeah, this person. Just this morning on one of the stupid Facebook groups, somebody's accusing Brother Perry of believing in oneness. Because some idiot made a YouTube video combining a bunch of his preaching, twisting his words, saying, oh, he believes in oneness. He never baptized in the name of Jesus. I don't think he's oneness. Yet people are just constantly trying to say accusations against people. And it's one of the most frustrating things to deal with because it's a lie. It's a bold-faced lie. All it is when you get to a lie is one person's word against another word. And I mean, lying is mentioned two separate times here. If you look down into verse 19 where it says, A false witness that speaketh lies, and yet he soweth discord among the brethren. Lying is a big deal. I know we say that there's little white lies, but little white lies turn into big black lies. You know, and that stuff needs to be corrected from a young age. And I hope that my wife and I can really, when we do have more children, Lord willing, if we do, really make sure that our kids understand the importance of just telling the truth. You know, if my son someday steals a bunch of stuff out of a store, I want him to just come to me and tell me the truth and say that he did so that we can just deal with the problem right then and there. Because all lying is is putting something off. Because be sure that your sin will find you out. There's no way that you're going to be able to escape sin, whether that be on this earth or not. So the best thing you can do is just go ahead and get it right. And stop putting it off and stop saying that you're going to just deal with it later or stop making up lies because the more lies you make up, the more trouble you get yourself into. It happens every single time. Let's look down at uh, hands that shed innocent blood. You know... This just came to me reading the verse, but think about the United States government shedding innocent blood all the time. I mean, just going over to a country saying that they've got a lot of resources. Man, I'd really like to get into those resources, and we just wipe them dead. I mean, hey, why pay for it when we can just kill everybody and take their stuff? That's the mindset of our government. You know, why... We think that we've got to go and vote all the time for the Republicans. Well, you know, I heard a really good saying on that one time. We've got to make sure that we don't let Lucifer get in the office or else Satan will get in. It's the same exact thing. There's no difference between a Republican and a Democrat. They've got the same goals. It's funny right now that we're arguing a lot about this big government shutdown. I think it actually stopped, but this big government shutdown over a border wall. Meanwhile, babies are being killed every single day inside the womb. Why don't we shut the government down over innocent blood? I mean, let's just think about abortion for a second and all the innocent blood shed there. I mean, that's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting to think about abortion, and it's disgusting to think that there are people who think that that's even okay, that that's even remotely okay. 
everybody knows there's not one person in Washington, D.C. right now that really thinks that abortion is okay. They know full well that that is a human being in there. Whether that baby be one day old or whether that baby be full term, there is no question that that is a baby in there. And any bit of abortion is completely wicked and disgusting. So, you know, I just want to look at these things. And those things are just things that we need to hate because the Lord hates them. And I believe that somebody who really loves the Lord is going to hate these things. You're going to hate the prideful look because it's taking away from the Lord Jesus Christ by lifting up another man themselves. You're going to hate a lying tongue because of all the things that it gets ourselves into. I mean, think about what a distraction from the gospel is a lie. Think about all the problems that churches have to go through because of a lie. And all the time that churches are going through problems, meanwhile, souls are going to hell because the church can't go out and knock on the doors and get them saved. You know, I absolutely hate lying. And, you know, I really think that we need to trust the Lord, and it's the people who will stand up for the things that are right in the eyes of the Lord when we stand up and rebuke these things because when we really have the ability to say that we're going to hate the things of the Lord, we're putting a lot of faith in the Lord because when you start hating things for the Lord, a lot of people have a problem with that. And a lot of people are going to fight you on that issue. And you really need to be taking a strong stand when you're doing those things. Now, I want to get to the third and the last point. And if you will, go to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22. And when you get there, we'll go ahead and look down to verse number 35. Verse number 35. The Bible says, for I was an hungered, and he gave me meat. I was thirsty, and he gave me drink. I was a stranger, and he took me in. Naked, and he clothed me. I was sick, and he visited me. I was in prison, and he came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when we saw thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink. When we saw thee, and a stranger took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee. Or when we saw thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of my brethren, ye have done it to me. Now, I believe that not only are we supposed to hate the things against the Lord, but I also think that we need to just love other people. You know, And I know, number one, what other way can we be more loving to somebody than giving them the gospel and showing them how to be saved? You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with just being a nice person. I don't think there's anything wrong with just being polite when you're going out to eat somewhere, just being polite to your waitress, saying please and thank you. I mean, just anywhere, holding the door for people. You know, I want to talk about this in a couple different ways. And I want to talk about um, being nice to people financially. Now, make no mistake about it, if you weren't here for Sunday school, I hit on this issue a little bit in terms of feeding homeless people. I think the last thing we need to do is feed homeless people. And the most hateful thing you can do is give money or feed a homeless person when they're being wicked and not working. But I do want to talk about just being able to help out a brother or sister in Christ or even just a friend in need who's not you know, in need because of some issue that they did with drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, and that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Now, according to this, according to the, this verse, the Bible says that it is God who gives us the ability to be rich. It's not some slick thing that we do 
to where we can make money. See, if we're a Bible-believing Christian and we come across wealth, then we ought to be generous with that wealth and we ought to help other people out when we have it. Because the truth is, is that in every way there's, there's a different time that we're going to be going through things. I mean, people in their lives go through different periods of time where some are in need more times than there are others. Now, I just want to use my life as a personal example with this. You know, when my wife and I first got married, we were set up pretty well for financial success. And, you know, we're still doing all right. But, you know, with a baby coming along, you know, also came a couple of big scares that we had to deal with. And all of a sudden, we've got hospital bills coming in. We've got a lot of things. You know, I'm having to take time off work to stay home and help out with things when she's really not doing well at all. And so having to pay those types of things, we're not doing as well financially as we were when we first got married. You know, we're not like scraping the bottom of the barrel or anything, but I'll just be honest, we're not perfect in terms of our finances. I'm not saying that I can go take a weekend to Chicago just to have fun. You know, I, we don't, we're not able to afford that all the time. And, you know, what I'm thankful for, though, is to say that we are able, even though things are incredible, that if somebody were to come to us and say that they have a need, that we might be able to help them out a little bit financially. You know, if I had a friend who came to me and said that he just wasn't going to make rent this week and it didn't have anything to do with him going off and saying that he was involved in drugs or he's involved in alcohol and the reason that he's going to have a hard time paying his bills is because he just isn't, you know, living right or he's living in a bunch of sin. He's spending his money on gambling or spending his money on drugs. If someone just comes to me honestly and they need help, I want to be able to help that person. And, you know, I don't believe in this whole entire thing of lifestyle evangelism and just living a good life. And then all of a sudden the person comes up and just is like, what can I do to be like you? And then you just give them the gospel. But, you know, I do think, though, that some people, the first time you go up to them and try to give them the gospel, they just don't want to hear it. But I think that a really powerful testimony is when that person comes to you and they have a need, that you can be nice to them and try to fulfill that need. I think you can try to be helpful to these people. And, you know, I would hope as us doing that, that we might be able, you know, if we ever had the opportunity, I'm not saying that I'm just like Mr. Moneybags. If you have problems, you know, I'll sign a check. But, you know, I like to be able to help somebody if they have a problem because of when the Bible says in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 38, when it says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Now, I haven't been there in life yet, but I think I'd be a fool and ignorant to say that there's not going to be a time in my life where I'm kind of sitting back, scratching my head, wondering if we're going to make all the bills. You know, and I'd like to hope that I don't live my life blowing all my money on myself, trying to get myself a bunch of nice things, living this life of luxury, and then I look at the bank account one day and it's empty. And it's empty because I was out partying or I'm out buying all these things. I'm buying a new car. I'm buying a house. I'm buying anything that you can imagine that's not necessary. I don't want to be that type of person who all of a sudden has an empty bank account, not because I've been serving the Lord, but because I've been serving myself. You know, I want to say that while we have the ability to give financially, I'd like to be able to help other people. I'd like to be able to help other churches not spend money on myself. 
because I believe that if I do ever come in a hard time, that because of good faithfulness with money while I had it, the Lord will bless us for that, and that if we ever need money because we haven't done anything to basically go blow it all or anything like that, we'll still be able to have the finances to make it through, and the Lord will protect us through all that stuff. But, you know, regardless of whether you have that or not, just a thought there. But, you know, I also believe that we should just be encouraging to one another. Now, I wasn't going to have you go there, but I do want you to go there, actually. Go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. Book of Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews 10.25 is a verse that's commonly used because there are a lot of people today that think because of certain tools like the Internet and certain tools like YouTube that actual physical church attendance isn't necessary. But a lot of times we don't look at the verse right before that either. In verse number 24, where the Bible reads, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I want to talk about this verse because there are literally people who you'll knock on their door and you'll ask them, you know, first, hey, you go to church anywhere? I'm from, in this example, Liberty Baptist Church. You know, and they will just say, oh, I don't go to church anymore. Oh, okay. And, you know, you start going on, but the person just really persists. I don't go to church anymore. You know, because I went to some church and, you know, this person was really mean to me. And, you know, I don't think that anybody's right ever to say that just because somebody was mean to them, they don't want to go to church anymore, ever, anywhere. I think that's wrong, and I think that's a wicked heart. But I also think it's a wicked heart when somebody comes in as a first-time visitor, or somebody just comes into a church, and you're just mean to them. And you know, I think one thing that happens all the time is when people will look, because, you know, just another example personally, you know, my wife, before we were really listening to a lot of super independent fundamental Baptist preaching, my wife did not wear skirts and dresses only. And what we would have all the time, just honestly, and you know, no one said it or anything, but just people looking and saying like, huh, that skirt's a little short. Huh, that's a little, I don't know that I approve of that. You know, I do believe the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 2, 22, verse 25, that men need to dress like men and women need to dress like women. And, you know, I personally believe that that's talking in the Bible, that women wear skirts and dresses, men wear pants. In the meantime, though, I don't need to be a jerk if I see a woman wearing a pair of pants. I will be a jerk if I see a man wearing a dress, personally. <laughs> you know. But I think that this culture, this society that we live in, you know, and unfortunately, you know, pants on women has been something that's being normalized. But when someone like that comes into our churches, the last thing we need to do is point them out, make them feel bad about themselves, just because they're learning on that subject, or they don't know something about that subject. We don't need to be mean to one another. We don't need to point people out. We don't need to call people out on specific issues that really aren't anywhere close to important as the other things. I believe that we need to have patience with people in growing. I believe that we need to have patience in people in all aspects of life. We should be patient, loving, temperate people because the last thing we need to do is try to push people away from church entirely. Yet, unfortunately, because of stupid issues like 
the way that the church is decorated or the way that, you know, music sounds or the way that, well, Liberty Baptist Church, they read the whole entire chapter before the sermon starts. I don't like that. Little things that people get upset about and make a big deal about that aren't that important. Now, you know, all that to say this, you know, I know I was talking this, uh, this evening about how to love the Lord, you know, but I don't want to really put anybody down if there was something that I preached about that, you know, you might not participate in. You know, if, if you're somebody who's, who's not a soul winner, I don't want to put you down and lower you and belittle you because you've never went soul winning. But I rather want to encourage you to think, hey, you've got a really good soul winning church around you. Maybe go out as a silent partner one time and just see what it's all about. You know, rather than coming in and seeing and hearing what the soul winning numbers are or how many people that your church has gotten saved, make it a goal by the end of, you know, it is still January, make it a goal by the end of the year that you might get somebody saved yourself and be able to bring the glad tidings and great news back to the church and rejoice with everybody. You know, I don't want to sound like I'm in this message saying that, you know, oh, you don't really love the Lord because of X, Y, and Z. I want you to rather just consider in your own life each of these points that I was able to bring up, like about soul winning or about hating the things that are against the Lord or about just loving people and just being nice. I want you to just kind of take those things and apply them to your own life and just examine yourself in those. I'm not a perfect person. I really, you could say that I do things wrong in every single one of these categories that I brought up tonight. But, you know, I wanted to preach this sermon because I think it's important that we all just examine ourselves on a regular basis, really on a weekly basis, in these areas and in different areas of the Bible and see how our life lines up with what the Bible says would be a good, godly, Christian living life. And we need to do everything that we can to live the best that we can be for the Lord, to set a good example for one another, to set a good example for new believers, and to set a good example for those around us that even if they might not be saved, we can clean up some of the filth and disgusting things in this world. So that's all i got for you tonight. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that I was able to preach, Lord, and we just pray that uh, this sermon will be edifying to those and pray that you just help the business meeting after this, Lord, to just go well, that you just be with this church as they go out into the new year and just discuss the different things and the logistics, Lord. Pray that you just be with everybody as they travel home tonight. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.